As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. This is why we have the two different cash and cash return factors. One, including the profits from sale. And the other one is excluding the profits from sale. Just so you know, okay, this is how much cash I'm actually making on my equity. And then here's how much I will get at the sale. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of our listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we have two podcast episodes that are typically a part of a larger podcast series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer some sort of document, spreadsheet, template, some sort of resource for you to download for free that accompanies the series. All of these free resources, as well as the free Syndication School podcast series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be a continuation of a series we began last week. So this will be part three, and that series is entitled How to Secure Commitments from Your Passive Investors. 
So if you haven't done so already, I recommend listening to parts one and two, which were aired last week, or if you're listening to this in the future, the episodes that were seven and six episodes ago, where we introduced the five-step process for securing commitments from your passive investors. Now, at this point in the process, you should have a deal under contract. And if you remember from the previous two series, there are three things that you should be doing concurrently after you've placed a deal under contract. Number one is to secure financing on your deal. Number two is to perform due diligence on the deal. And then the third is to secure commitments. So at this point, you really need to have listened to all of the syndication school series, or at the very least, the previous two episodes. Or if you're just interested in learning specifically how the process of actually funding the apartment deals happen, then this episode in the series is good for you as well. So as I mentioned, this is a continuation. This is part three. So in parts one and two, we focused on step one of the commitment securing process, which is to create that investment summary. And now we're going to talk about step two, which is to email your investor database. So once you have your investment summary created and you create that long 20 plus page PowerPoint presentation that highlights the entire deal, the numbers, the financials, the property description, your business plan, the market, things like that. Then the next step is to actually let your investors know about the deal you have under contract. So logistically, the best way to do this is to create some sort of automated email. So when Joe first started out, he actually sent each of his individual investors an email. So he went into Gmail and then he had his list of investors. And so he made 10, 20, 30 plus different emails and emailed all of them individually. Obviously, this is technically possible if you're doing your first deal and maybe you only have a handful of investors, but eventually, when you get to Joe's level and you've got thousands of investors, that's going to take an entire day to write emails, to send out the emails. So again, if you want to do that, more power to you, but in order to save yourself a lot of time and also to make your new investment offer in emails more professional, then you can create a nicely designed email using an automated email service. And the one that we use and that we obviously recommend is MailChimp. So if you go to MailChimp.com and create an account, I believe it is free up to a certain amount of people on a list, maybe 50. And after that, you have to pay a monthly fee. But MailChimp allows you to import a list of as many people as you want. And then they have kind of a, a process that guides you through creating your first email campaign. And there's a lot of built-in templates and things you can click, drag, and drop to make your email look very professional. And I think I'm going to include a link, just a link for this episode that is an example of one of Joe's emails, just so you can see how it flows, how it's designed. And obviously, when you take a look at that, it's something that you can't do using something like Gmail, for example. So MailChimp isn't the only one, but that's just the one that we use. And so for the rest of this conversation today, I will go ahead and assume that you're using MailChimp. So the goals, there's actually four goals of this initial email to your investors. Now at this point, unless you're doing a 506C offering, your investor should know who you are. They should have received a few emails from you already, and you should have had a conversation with them on the phone. So 
this email is not going to be completely out of the blue. If this is your first deal, then all these investors have been anxiously awaiting this first email so they can invest in your first deal. So the four goals of this email is to one, notify your list of investors that you have a deal under contract. Number two is to provide your investors with a summary of the investment. Number three is to send them or offer to send them the investment summary. And then four is to invite them to a conference call. So I'm going to go ahead and actually use an example email. Uh, This is actually the most recent email Joe has sent out for one of his deals. Just to kind of walk you through exactly how to accomplish those four goals and then kind of talk about a few other things as well. So obviously, number one, to notify your investors that you have a deal under contract. That's really just accomplished by you sending the email. But what's important is how you actually label the email. So the email comes in and what does the email say? Does it just say, hey, you've got a new deal? Or does it kind of grab their attention? So in a sense, you want to use some of your branding expertise that you learned in some of the earlier syndication school episodes in order to create a title that grabs their attention. So an example would be off-market opportunity under contract at 25% below recent sales. So someone sees that and like, okay, well, this is off-market deal, which obviously comes with another perception that is a better deal. But not only that, but we have the deal under contract for 25% below recent sales, which tells an investor that we're automatically going to have essentially 25% of equity in the deal the second we actually close on the opportunity. Another example would be significant value add opportunity in an A-plus location. So again, it's letting them know that this is a value add deal. From according to this title, there's a lot of opportunity to add value. So I'm expecting there to be a large increase in rental premiums, which lets me know that the cash flow and the equity credit is going to be very high. But also it's in an excellent location. It's in an A-plus location. So essentially when you're creating the title, you want to include one or two of the most important highlights of the deal. So in the first example, it was the fact that it was off market and that it was under contract at 25% below the recent sales comps. In the second example, it was one, a significant value at opportunity and two, in a very strong market. So again, that makes me think, okay, well, maybe this current asset is like a B or a C that we're going to convert into an A and it's already in an A plus market. So it's a huge opportunity to add value. So that's one. Not only do you want to notify your investors that you have a deal on a contract, but you want to kind of grab their attention right away with the most important one or two highlights of the deal. Number two is to provide your investors with the summary of the investment or some of the investment highlights. Now, this is when your investment summary comes in handy, which we created last week, because if you remember, the executive summary of the investment summary package listed out seven, really depending on the deal, highlights of the deal that you wanted to get across right away. And then everything else in the actual deal package went into more detail on why it's an A-plus market or why it's a great value add opportunity. So essentially what you want to do is you want to go back to that investment summary. And even while you're creating the investment summary, you want to keep in mind that you're going to be including this information in that first email to your investors. So go ahead and grab a few of the main highlights and include them in the beginning of the deal package. So I guess that's step 2A, which is to include those highlights. Step 2B, or the goal 2B, is to obviously include the specific returns about the deal. So for the example that we have here, it says, 
we are purchasing this property, this mini unit apartment community located in this market. So we kind of described the characteristics of the deal, but now this is when we go into the highlights. All the unit interiors are inferior compared to the surrounding competition. So that's where the significant value add comes into play. The asset is located in an A-plus location, which has one of the most desirable school districts in the state, is the top market in the nation for jobs, and has an average household income of $100,000. So again, right away in that first paragraph, we address specifically what we mean by significant value-add opportunity in an A-plus location. So why is it a significant value-add opportunity? Well, because every single unit is inferior to the competition. And then why is it an A-plus location? Well, it's because it has the most desirable school district in the state, is the top market in the nation for jobs, and has the average household income of $100,000. Next paragraph, we go into the business plan. So, okay, this is the description of the deal. Now, what do we plan on doing? Well, our business plan will be to renovate 100% of the units to bring the interiors up to the higher standard demanded by the upscale demographic. Our projected rental premiums will be up to $400 per month less than properties that have undergone similar interior renovation programs in the surrounding area. So if you remember back to the series about underwriting, you perform your detailed rent comp analysis in order to determine what is the average rent per square foot for each unit type after it's kind of gone through its renovations. And then you take the average and that is going to be the rent premium that you can demand at your property. I mentioned that in order to be conservative, you kind of want to round that number down. Just so if you indeed get the average, then it's more power to you and your investors and your returns. But if you don't, then you've already projected it conservatively, so you'll still be able to hit your returns. So the fact that you did that, that's definitely going to be a highlight of your deal, and you want to include that. So whatever that reduction is, you want to mention that. So in this case, the reduction was up to $140 per month. I think it was something like between $60 and $140, depending on the unit type. So after that, we actually include a few other things. So those are the kind of the two main selling points that we included in the title. And so we had to go ahead and explain those right away. And the other two highlights of this deal was going to go into more detail on the market as well as the type of debt that was secured. So in the email, we say other notable aspects of the deal. We got market. This market has been the epicenter of job growth in the Dallas Fort Worth market. Fortune 500 corporations who've recently relocated or expanded to Plano include Toyota, Mutual Liberty. We go on with the five or six other Fortune 500 companies. Dallas Plano Irving was named the number one best market for jobs by Forbes two years running. Additionally, Plano's five-year projected population growth is 14.1% compared to a 3.9% national average over the same period. So all the information is included in your investment summary, or at least it should be somewhere in your investment summary. And you want to go ahead and pull out because those are very important highlights. We're saying, hey, the market we're locating in is not only an A-plus location because of the school districts and the average household income, but look at all these Fortune 500 companies that have not only are there currently, but have either relocated there or have expanded there because of how powerful the job market is. Also, it was named number one best market by Forbes. So that's why I mentioned in the investment summary episode how you want to include information about the market being included on any top lists. And then we also mentioned the population growth, because if you remember back to the podcast series about market analysis, one of the things you want to track is the five-year population trend, so the previous five years compared to now. Then you also want to take a look at the projected population growth. Again, this is not something that's set in stone, but it is based off of 
a pretty detailed calculation. And the fact that this particular market is expanding at a rate almost four times greater than national average is a great sign for the demand of rentals in multifamily in this market. And the other one was debt. So for the debt, we said we're assuming a low leverage loan with a certain amount of time remaining on the loan at a historically low interest rate. We mentioned what the remaining time is and the interest rate. Why is this good? Because this loan will provide investors with limited risk given the low interest rate and our ability to hold the asset long term. Although this has been not modeled in our projections, we've also implemented our value add reno- once we've implemented our value add renovation program, we'll focus on obtaining a supplemental loan to return significant equity to the investors. So two big things there. Number one is describing how great the loan is that they are getting on this deal. It's assumed so it's got very low leverage which reduces the risk. It's got a remaining loan term that is greater than our predicted hold period, so we won't be forced to refinance or sell. And the interest rate is extremely low compared to how it is currently today if we were to be securing a regular loan. Essentially another value-add opportunity at this property because the debt service is going to be a lot lower than it would have been if new debt was secured. And then additionally, we also mentioned the fact that we plan on securing a supplemental loan so that the investors will be receiving a portion of their equity back. But most importantly, that was not included in the actual projections. So I also said this during the episode about underwriting. If your plan is to refinance or get a supplemental loan, you do not want to include that in your projections because let's say, for example, your plan is to do a refinance at year three And based off of your projected NOI at the end of year three and your projected cap rate at the end of year three, you project that you return 40% of your investors' capital. Well, if you did that, then the five-year returns to your investors would look like 8%, 9%, and then 48%, and then back down to maybe 10% and then 11%. And so that annualized cash-to-cash return is going to be extremely high, and it's not necessarily a realistic reflection just because, one, that's technically a return of their capital. It's not a return on capital. So they're essentially going to receive 40% of their initial equity back at year three, then they're only going to get 60% at the end of the actual business plan. And also because you might not actually do that. And if you don't do that, then your projections are going to be off and your investors are going to be disappointed because they're not getting that 40-plus percent return year three. And I guess thirdly, and this is why we have the two different cash and cash return factors, one including the profits from sale and the other one is excluding the profits from sale. This is, okay, this is how much cash I'm actually making on my equity. And then here's how much I will get at the sale. So long story short, if you do refinance or supplemental loan, do not include that in your projections. Now, this is just one example of a deal that we present to investors where we talked about the market and the debt. But what you include here depends on the deals. Another example could be any sort of operational improvements you've identified. So let's say you determine that you can decrease the expenses by 20% or 15% or whatever. Then you'll want to say in your title, it'd be 100% value-add opportunity or off-market deal with significant operational upside. And then in your description of the deal, those first few paragraphs, you mentioned, hey, we're going to be able to reduce our expenses by... 15% because the current owner is doing this and we're not going to do this. So again, you want to go through your investment summary and pick out those top two or three highlights and include those here. Now, the second goal is to provide your investors with a summary of the investment highlights. So I guess goal 2A was to describe specifically why this is a great deal. And then goal 2B is to actually describe the returns. So at this point, you want to 
provide some additional information about the returns and the maximum investment amounts, the closing dates, the funding dates, so when they can actually submit money, and then what they need to do if they want to actually invest. So for this particular deal, we've got a bullet point that says we're projected to exit in five years. So we've got our exit strategy with the following returns. So here's the cash and cash returns to the investors, excluding the proceeds from sale. Here are the cash and cash returns to the investors, including the proceeds from sale. And here is the IRR during that five years. Then we also list out information about the max and mid investment. For the minimum investment, that's completely up to you. It could be 25 grand, it could be 50 grand. We talked about the logic behind that in the episode when you were actually gaining verbal commitments. And essentially, it takes time to raise capital, to answer questions. And if you've got no minimum and someone wants to invest five bucks, it's not necessarily worth your time to go through the process with them, answering their question that they're only investing $5 when you could be spending that time on the person who's investing a million dollars. So $50,000 is pretty standard for a first time investor. You might want to make it 25 grand depending on who you're raising capital from. And eventually you might want to raise it up to 100 grand, 500 grand, a million dollars once you've become more established. For the maximum investment, the reason why you want to include a max investment is because if one individual is accounting for more than 20% of the equity raise, so if you have a million dollar equity raise and one individual is bringing $200,000 or more, then the lender will perform additional due diligence on that person just because they're the ones that are bringing most of the down payment. And a lot of investors don't want to go through that. They don't want to send in their bank statements and tax returns and things like that. So in order to make it easier on your investors, just set a max investment amount equal to 19% of the capital raise. So if you have to raise a million dollars, then mention that your max investment amount is $190,000. Just to keep things simple and just to keep your investors from having to go through that additional due diligence and you're not having to inundate them with extra sentences explaining, hey, if you invest more than this, then you're gonna have to go through this process with the lender. Instead, just say max investment, this amount. You also want to include an approximate closing date because, of course, it might change, especially if you put in some contingencies in your contract. Like, hey, our closing date is 60 days from now, but we've got two 30-day extensions. So you don't want to tell your investors, hey, we're definitely closing on this date, and then you end up closing 30 or 60 days later because, again, that's just going to confuse them and frustrate them. So you want to be as transparent as possible and say, hey, this is the approximate closing date. That's subject to change. And then the funding date. So typically you'll want to set a date where you're going to begin accepting funds. We do this the day after the conference call and then up to three weeks later. It really depends on the close and when the lender needs proof of funds by. So you kind of want to determine that from your lender and then base your funding date off of that. And we're going to go over this, I think, next week when we talk about how to actually secure the commitments after the conference call. You want to include something in your email that says something along the lines of, if you're ready to commit to this deal... Here's how you should go about doing it. So for us, we say, please reply to this email with your investment amount. And if you are investing as an individual or as an entity, and if you're investing as an entity, please let us know the name of that entity. I'm going to leave it at that for now. And we'll talk about how to actually follow up on this once you've actually done the conference call. Because for Joe, he's in so many deals that once he sends out this email, people will begin to reply and say, hey, we want to invest. Whereas if it's your first deal, you might not necessarily be able to fill up the entire equity raise just by sending out this email. So that covers goal number two, provide your investors with your summary of the investment highlights. Three is to provide them with the investment summary. 
Now, when Joe first started out, he didn't actually include a link to the investment summary. He asked for them to reach out if they wanted an investment summary. And I believe the reason he did this was something along the lines of, if someone actually emails you and reaches out asking for more information about the deal, increases the likelihood of them investing. Plus, you know exactly who requested it. Where if you do a link, you don't really know who clicked on it, or you don't know if someone just clicked on it by accident, or if they actually wanted to look at it. So the only way to know for certain is if you send it to them. However, if you've got, as Joe does, thousands of investors, then it's not realistic or time efficient to actually manually send out all those emails, just like it's not time efficient to manually send out overall email. So instead, we now include a link to the investment summary package so they can just click on it and they can download it themselves. And we can technically see on the back end because of the functionality on MailChimp, we can determine who exactly clicked on it. But again, this is more of a time saver for both us and the investors to make sure that every single investor who wants the investment package can see the investment package. And the fourth goal is to invite them to a conference call. So you don't want to just send out an email and then that's it and have your fingers crossed that people actually invest. You also want to set up a 60 to 90 to two hour conference call, depending on how long it takes, to actually present the deal in much more detail. And investors can call in and then you can conclude the call with a FAQ section where investors can ask you questions. And so we'll go over exactly how to prepare for this call, how to execute the call, and then obviously what to do after the conference call starting actually tomorrow. We're going to start discussing the actual conference call and we'll complete that next week. So essentially what you want to do, again, you can technically use whatever service you want, but we use freeconferencecall.com just because it's free. It gives you a call-in number that you continue to use for every single deal, and it records the call. But we'll discuss why you want to record your call starting tomorrow, or likely next week. So the last part of this email says, because I anticipate a high level of interest, we are hosting a conference call to go over the deal and answer any questions you might have. Here are the call details. So here's the date of the call, here's the time of the call, here's the phone number to call, and here's the passcode to enter in what you actually call. So that accomplishes the fourth and final goal. And then you want to end it up by just kind of closing it out. We say either way, hope you're doing well. And if I can help you out any other way, please let me know. So essentially that is how you create your new investment offering email. And again, you want to one, notify your investors that you have a deal under contract. And you want to do that with a very strong subject line. Two, you want to provide your investors with the summary of the investment. So you want to first explain in more detail why you created that particular subject line. Two, you want to go over any other notable aspects of the deal. And three, you want to include information about the returns, the min and max investments, the closing date, and the funding dates. Goal number three is to offer to send them the investment summary. We include a link in our emails, but you can either do that, so upload it to Dropbox and then copy that Dropbox links and hyperlink that in your email. Or you can just say, if you want to read the investment package, send me an email and I will send that to you. And then number four is to invite them to your conference call. So we use freeconferencecall.com and you want to include the date, time, and the call-in information in the end of the email. So that concludes part three, which is discussing the second step of the five-part process for securing commitments from your investors. And that is to send an email to your investor database. Tomorrow, we're going to begin to discuss step number three, which is that conference call where you go over the deal in more details. Probably won't get through that entire process tomorrow, so we will 
finish off that next week and then go over the final two steps of the commitment securing process. Until then, I recommend listening to parts one and two of the series. I recommend listening to other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndication. And make sure you take a look at that link that you provided that has an example of how our new investment summary email flows. And also download the template we provided last week for how to create your investment summary package. All of that can be found at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.